You're listening to Panthers on Tap. I'm Curtis Round, joined by Bryson Carbley. We're just two fans sharing our love for the game and Carolina Panthers football. So join us, crack open a cold one, some bubbly, a little wine, some scotch. We don't care, whatever makes you sleep better at night. Before we dive into the episode, a little self-promotion. Stop what you're doing. Go give us a follow on Twitter at Panthers on Tap. Join the discussion on our Facebook group. We have over 2,500 members. You can listen to us wherever you get your podcast. Just search Panthers on Tap. The Matt Rule era is over in Carolina. Panthers fired their head coach after a 1-4 and four start to the season. We got a jam-packed show for you guys tonight. J.J. Hardy, known as Panthers Culture, Edgar Salmingo Jr., Panthers Analyst on Twitter, and then Kevin Avery of the Four Man Rush is going to be joining us throughout this show. They'll be popping in and out um, just based off their schedules, but we got a lot to talk about tonight. Bryson, before we get to them, just want to see how you're doing. I am in a great mood. Uh, I have been waiting for this day, uh, this past Monday for a long time in Carolina. Uh, it's been well past due, in my opinion, and I'm finally happy that it finally came. <clears throat> All right, guys. Um, I guess I will start here, just my initial reactions, and then Bryson, I'll go to you, and then we can kind of just trickle out um, with JJ and Kevin because they're on right now. Um I tweeted this out on Monday when this broke. Um, and if you've been listening to us, I've been in Matt Rule's corner since the beginning. Um, one of the lone soldiers for this uh, fan base. Um, I said it in January. I felt like he should have gotten a third season. He did. Um, and he let me down. Um, it's disappointing. It's frustrating. Uh, Matt Rule's biggest downfall as a coach has been not solidifying the quarterback room. His starting five quarterbacks in his tenure, Teddy Bridgewater, P.J. Walker, Sam Darnold, brought back Cam Newton and Baker Mayfield. Some would argue none are starting caliber quarterbacks anymore. Um, he's had his pick of Justin Fields and Mac Jones. He passed on both of them. This offseason, he passed on Kenny Pickett. Um, I tried to look this up, and I couldn't find it. Um, but it is rare to have a new coach come in, have the struggles this team did offensively over the last three years and not take a stab at a rookie quarterback. Uh, I get they got, they took Matt Corral this offseason, but I'm specifically referring to a first-round rookie QB. Uh, Matt Rule took the patchwork approach, the revitalization project method, whatever you want to call it, and it didn't work out. Um I wish him the best of luck in college. I think he's going to be a good coach in college somewhere, wherever that might be in Nebraska, Wisconsin, pick whatever team you want. Um, but it just did not work out at the NFL level. Bryson, I will let you fire away. Yeah, I think he's going to be a coach for your Wisconsin Wisconsin Badgers here soon, so you won't uh, miss them too long, uh, Curtis. So you'll, you'll be seeing them coach your team uh, again. But, yeah, I think, obviously, um, the way I felt was after the end of last season, I thought that I just didn't see enough as a, as a fan and as somebody who watches football in, in my coach uh, that warranted him another season. Um, I mean, up to that point, he had taken a stab at four different quarterbacks, three different quarterbacks, whatever, and uh, hadn't been successful. Uh, two five-win five win seasons in a row. 
underachieved in the second year, uh, you know, start, starting off so hot and then, you know, winning one or two games to finish out the season. I, I thought that it just wasn't enough for me. And, and um, the worst part of this is, is just knowing that the season is pretty much a wash. I mean, I hope for the best with Steve Wilkes. And, I, and if he wins and is the guy, then I'll be the happiest fan ever. But um, I just, as of now, you know, with the injury with that we're dealing with, with Baker, which, you know, he hasn't been the, the best quarterback by any means, but uh, it probably can get worse at the quarterback position. And um, we may see that, but, uh, but I just thought, you know, after last season that, it was time to move on and it sucks that it, it, it rolled over into this season or one and four now. And uh, kind of just looking at the draft already and, and saying suck for Stroud or Bryce Young or whoever it is. And, and just another year gone by, but I'm excited for the future and, and what it holds and what coach uh, that may be. I'm, you know, we've all got our favorites. Um, and I'm, if Wilkes is the guy, Wilkes is the guy. I'll be perfectly fine with that. If he, you know, proves to be a, a good head coach, he wasn't given a fair shot in Arizona with a quarterback that he didn't pick and a, a coaching staff that he didn't hire uh, for the most part. So uh, I think, you know, Wilkes gets a fair shot uh, with not a great quarterback, obviously, but I think that he's going to have this team more competitive than it was. I think Steve Wilkes is just a better leader. He's more well, well respected in that locker room. And, um, and, and Wilkes will just take it from here. All right. I, I, I'm going to go to Kevin next on this. Um, try to Let's try to stay focused on just reaction to rule. We're going to get into Tepper. We'll get into Fitterer later. We'll get into Wilkes later. I just want your initial reaction to the firing of Matt Rule. Kevin, go ahead. Yeah, so I think it was around, if I'm not mistaken, 11 o'clock. Uh, Monday morning when the news broke and, uh, you know, all of a sudden, you know, phone going off notifications. I'm like, what the hell? And then he have fired Matt Rue. You know, and I was like, what? You know what I'm saying? Because uh, I don't know if you hear me on Twitter. I had posted where I had a, I was, I did a live where I was leaving from the last game um, against Arizona, and I was just like, hey, we need to burn this thing down and start over and build it correctly. Little did I know that the burning down would start exactly a week later. But um, like you, I was um, supportive of Matt Rule. I went ahead and said year three was going to be that year, but uh, one and four is not showing signs of the turnaround that he's been known for in year three. Um, like I said, I just feel like that he tried too hard to, um, do things differently to show that he's a genius instead of doing things correctly. But, um, I have no ill will towards Matt Rule. I, I think he's going to do very good in college. I, I definitely wish him well, but, uh, I'm glad he's getting away from my NFL team. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just looking forward to this new chat yet. Edgar, let's go to you. Initial reaction to the rule firing. Yeah, what's up, guys? Um, I don't know. I feel great. How's, how's everyone doing? But uh, I know like, we, we've been talking this for a long time. I know we gave you a lot of, a lot of crap, Curtis, for, 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 for rule. But 
at the end of the day, I, I know I know JJ has more more tea than I do. Like, we've talked about this many times. It just just was not like a professional football coach, right? Like he just didn't run the way things are. People will point to the winning percentage. People will point to like his his record when they were they allow more than 17 points. But ultimately, like what bothered us the most was the culture, his hands and everything, um, the stuff that Cam said. Like these are all the stuff that like aren't gonna come up or filter. I know I know Charles Johnson said he was gonna say some things and. And Steve Smith says some things, but ultimately the things that doomed him, the reason why we didn't buy into him is like a lot of the things that don't really surface. I know that Joe Person put something out at the end of last year about how people were feeling, but I think people who are close that, that, that have a pulse on how the team is, it felt like a, a like a relief. Like we just took a clean shower. We got this, this Matt rule off of us. And even just, just the way that everyone's acting and the things that are coming out, like it feels like it was the best move. I still am frustrated that it happened now. Like if you're going to do this, you should have done this in the off season, but Hey, like it happened, and and you know I'm not I like what Kev said. Like I'm not no ill will towards the guy. Like we said uh, in a, back in another podcast, like this dude is going to be a great college coach. People are going to love him. He'll, he could do his 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 cheesy car salesman thing on a campus, and people will love it and buy it and eat it all up. But just not for like Kev said, just not for my NFL team. JJ. Um. It's a long time coming, a long time coming. I went back to week six last year. I think we were three and two. And I was complaining a lot about Matt Rule then. And a lot of people close to me were questioning why I was so negative about Matt Rule. And I found the tweet, I retweeted it today. I quote tweeted it where I said, he doesn't have any redeeming quality that could give you a strategic advantage. And I think ultimately, you know, that was his demise. Matt Rule is a CEO coach. He's not an offensive specialist. He's not a defensive specialist. I think there are a lot of games that Carolina lost that we could have won if he could have gone in at halftime, you know, gotten with his offensive coordinator, gotten with the defensive coordinator, just based on whatever the situation was, made some adjustments and closed out the game or came back to win a game. And there was just no game that I can recall where I saw that Matt Rule did something that changed the outcome of a game based on his coaching ability. And I think it became evident that he didn't have that ability on either side of the ball. Um, Curtis, you mentioned this when you opened. I think it's demise. I won't even say it's demise. I think the shame of Matt Rule being fired, not even halfway through his third season, is that he came into the league with a lot of favor. I heard the people on NFL Network today saying, our guy, Matt Rule, you know, people love Matt Rule in the media, but he came into the league and didn't afford himself an opportunity to draft a rookie quarterback. And now he's being fired. May not ever get another chance to coach at the NFL level. And he never tried out a rookie, right? You know, like, I think a rookie would buy you some time because it gives you time to work with that guy, develop that guy, gives you some patience with an owner, gives you patience with the fan base. But because he went out and got veterans, you know, some guys I like, you know, I like Teddy Bridgewater, but he came in a year after Cam and, you know, he wasn't received well and he couldn't push a bad team over the hump. Um, then went out and traded for Sam Donald. Um, and then most recently, they went out and got Baker Mayfield, who hasn't 
played well. You know, I don't know if it's all on him, but he hasn't played well, and I don't think he's been schemed well either. Um, but ultimately, I think it's a shame that Matt Rule ended his coaching career in Carolina without drafting a quarterback in the first round, like you mentioned. You know, passed on Justin Fields when he was right there. Could have gone Mac Jones. Um, even could have gotten Jalen Hurts in 2020 and then and then use that opportunity to get him. So it's a shame that he was fired uh, without being able to groom a guy. And I think that goes back to not being a specialist, you know, on the offensive side of the football and not being able to trust the offensive coordinators that he's tied himself to and Joe Brady and most recently Ben McAdoo to develop a guy. And so to me, that's the shame of it. Um, like Kev mentioned, I was driving back from South Carolina back to Georgia when the news broke. I was on um, I-85 or about to hit I-85 um, when the news hit on my phone. It almost wrecked. And uh, <laughs> but but you know but you know this isn't about praising you know a guy losing his job. Um, I just think it's unfortunate you know that that he didn't draft the quarterback. And I will say this: I know you told me not to be long-winded, Curtis, but after the game on Sunday. Someone, and you know I have friends, someone asked to meet with me after the game outside of the stadium. They said they can't really speak on, you know, the things that they knew um, because of affiliation with the team. However, I knew, and I tweeted early this morning, um, what was it, early, early yesterday morning, I'm sorry, that there was a high level of confidence in Steve Wilkes. And we're going to talk about him later. But they were saying it was just a matter of time. And I think Tepper probably slept on it and woke up and said, you know what? I got to eat it. And, you know, we got to get rid of him today. And that day was yesterday. So um, I, won't, I won't say anything further, but it's about time. All right, let's move to David Tepper. You talked about him. I think we've all seen the press conference by now. Um, who knew Mr. Tepper was Scooter Braun or Jerry Wexler of music? Um, <laughs> for those who don't know Wexler, he signed and produced Ray Charles, Aretha Franklin, Led Zeppelin, Bob Dylan. And uh, Tepper apparently brought music to Charlotte. So, um, but no, really on a serious note, um, I want to I wanna pose this question. Um, and maybe we'll start with Edgar here and then go to Kevin and then Bryson. Um, do you trust Tepper enough to make the right decision this time around? It's a big one. Um, I would like to think that someone who's made billions of dollars knows is smart enough to realize what his faults are or what he needs extra help and assistance in. Um, so uh, uh, the optimist in me wants to say, yes, I believe that he's smart enough. He has enough money. He has enough, you know, people in his circle to tell him what he's doing right or wrong after this, you know, fell through. But I also know that we've never seen that. This would be the first time if he could humble himself that this would be the, t but um, cautiously optimistic, I would say, but I, I have no, my confidence is a lot. There's no evidence why I'm confident in him, but I'm hopeful that he would make the right decision after the terrible $62 million mistake that he's made. I'd love to him to say like, all right, I got to do something completely different than I did the last time because I just ate all that money and lost it for, for nothing. So I'm, I'm hopeful that he's learned from his mistakes. Kevin, do you think he's learned at all? 
Yeah, I, I, I like to, I'm going on the side to say yes, you know, just based on Tepper's background, uh, prior to being an um, owner, um, just, just uh, reading up thoroughly on him. Um, he looked like a man that was very humbled and hurt, you know, at that press conference. Um, uh, I'm sure he was trying to deflect with humor and things like that, but I saw a lot of pain, pain in that man's face. I mean, he came out the gates with his first head coach swinging, made him like, I think like the third or fourth highest paid coach, you know, offered him seven years, which was virtually unheard of, you know? So, I mean, he, he, he swung for the fences and he missed big time, but I don't mind that because, you know, he has no problems going to the extremes if it's going to help him win. Now, by him being a rookie owner, of course, this is his first big mistake. Uh, so many people want to put Tepper on a cross, you know, over this. And, I mean, to a certain degree, I can get why. But, you know, he should be allowed to make his mistake, learn, and see how he does the next time around. Uh, so, long answers. I mean, so, summarize it. Uh, I believe that he's being humble and humiliated like this. Um, he's going to uh, bounce back, and I think he's going to do it uh, different and better. And just to, off what Edgar said, um, if another college hires him, that remaining $40 million, it gets lower based on what he signs for. So he's not on the hook for the next four years um, unless Rule takes a job. Now, if Rule sits out a year, then he'll be paid year by year. But if another uh, college offers him, say, a $60 million deal, that $40 million remaining, they're they, they going to they gonna absorb that to, uh, to get him. So, so let's just hope that uh, – Nebraska, Wisconsin, you know, got deep alumni pockets and uh, saved Tepper a few million. <laughs> before before Bryson goes here, I want to just jump in real quick. Uh, the thing that concerns me about Tepper is the countless, countless mistakes he's made um, as an overseer of things. And, that, and that's in football, that's in soccer, that's in real estate. Um, when you talk about Rock Hill. Um, that's the facility they were supposed to build for the soccer facility that was supposed to go in Charlotte. Um, those keep stacking up over and over and over again. Uh, I get the risk he took with rule. Some guy who built up college teams, brought him into the NFL. Um, but what concerns me is, I mean, this is a constant thing with him, constant turnover. He's fired two or three team presidents. They just kind of go off onto the wayside. You never hear about what happened with them. That does concern me. I don't know if that's ever going to change with him, um, but I sure as hell hope so, because that's, that is something that um, has plagued him in the first four years he's owned this team. And it's, it really hasn't changed no matter what facet you go from, whether it's soccer, football, whatever team it is. Uh, I get it. He brought soccer to Charlotte, and that was a good thing. They beat attendance records or set attendance records, and that's great. And that a lot of people are on board with that soccer team. But I think he needs to get his hand out of the the day-to-day the -day operations of these teams, whether it's soccer or football. Go ahead, Bryson. Yeah, I, I agree with with everyone saying that. Uh, and I think in that uh, press conference, to me, it did look like David Tepper was hurt or bothered um, by his mistake. Uh, he does come off as pretentious, and I think that 
probably comes with his net worth. Uh, and uh, I don't think there are very many non-pretentious billionaires uh, in the world. So um, he has made some mistakes here in Carolina, but he's also made 18.5 billion right uh 18.5 billion correct things, uh, which is his net worth. So I think that he, um, he, I, uh, hopefully my, my hope is that he, he has learned and that um, he allows uh, Scott Fitterer and Dan Morgan to, to lead the, the search uh, for the next head coach. And um, obviously Tepper will have some say in it, uh, but I I'm hoping that uh, those two guys, Fitter and Morgan lead it. And, um, Fitter gets to pick his head coach and, and they go from there. Uh, that's, we really don't have a choice uh, if, 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 if we're really being honest because Tepper is the owner. So, I mean, either way uh, we're going to have to deal with it, but, but I'm, I'm hoping um, from what I could tell from that presser is right. JJ, go ahead. I think Tepper learned some lessons, um, but I don't think that he's ultimately going to approach things holistically different, right? I think he is who he is, and I think he's confident in who he is. And um, if you heard his press conference yesterday, you know, he kind of ended it on that note, right? You know, by making the, you know, the, you know, the allegation that he brought music to Charlotte, you know, and, you know, the things that he had won in doing in Charlotte. Um, and I guess football is next on the list of of wins that he's looking forward to uh, to bring into Charlotte. And, uh, and and when I heard him say that, I was like, you know, well, that kind of played into what I thought about you. Right. You know, like he's a bottom line guy. Right. I think, you know, you see Tepper on these financial shows, you know, on the cable networks, you know, talking to people and advising them about what's going on in the markets and stuff like that. I think Tepper has his eye to what's going on with money before football and these things that he's brought to Charlotte, you know, are all about bringing revenue to Charlotte, you know, so he can continue doing things um, that's going to continue to, to grow his net worth. Uh, and I think football is just a byproduct, you know, of, you know, of his bigger goal. Um, but I do believe that he wants to win. I was told that he really, really wants to win. Um, you know, I've been, I've accused him of not wanting to win enough. But on Sunday night, I was assured that Tepper really wanted to win. He just didn't want to look um, irrational about how he went about it, right? And, uh, and, and I think there was some swallowing of pride that happened yesterday. But I don't think it's going to change how he approaches things you know, holistically. I think, I think one thing that he would do is I think he would refrain from giving anybody a, a six or seven-year deal, um, you know, again. Um, so... I don't think he'll ever get away from trusting his gut if he's involved in the process. Uh, I think he's always going to be a guy that's going to trust his instinct on a person. Um, I think I would like to, you know, to see two things with Dave Tepper on this coaching search. I would like for him to fairly observe Steve Wilkes, you know, in this time, you know, he's, he's entering an interim position, you know, with the backup quarterback to start off with. Got some key guys down, you know, Jeremy Chan and others um, that, you know, that he needs to be able to see how he leads the group of men in a bad situation and and take that into account when he's going for his broader search. Um, so I like to see if he's really fair in that. And then, you know, to what Bryce said, um, I hope that if 
Dan Morgan and, and Scott Fitterer are retained, that he empowers them to lead the search. And he's more as a final sign off than he is somebody who is, you know, um, going out and, and, you know, and doing the recruitment, like jumping on the plane and going to talk to people at their house, you know, and, and things like that. I would like him to stay away from that early level of engagement and brought in when they think that the, that the person is a really serious candidate. And so, um, so yeah, you know, it's, so I don't think he's changed all around because I think he believes that the way he is made him who he is. Um, but I think he has learned some lessons. Um, just eager to see how much he's learned and how he um, applies that to this new coaching search because there are a lot of people out there that don't, that don't believe we can be fixed. I believe we can be fixed, but it ultimately lies on how Dave Tepper pursues this hire. Yeah, going off of that, I think any team can be fixed. Just look at the Cleveland Browns. I mean, purgatory for 20-plus years, and they've been to the playoffs two years ago, um, and and that coach has got them um, doing some good things with a you know Jacoby Brissett. So I, I think any team is fixed. You just got to get the right guys in there. Let's go to Scott Fitterer now. Um, and I'll start with Edgar on this. How much blame does he deserve for the success and failures of this roster and the struggles over what last season and a quarter of this season since he's been here? I mean, he's got to take some blame. He signed off on Darnold, signed off on, on Baker and Baker still, you know, the jury's still out on him, but I mean, ultimately, we, we talked about this in the offseason is that it, it doesn't seem like there's synergy here. It seems like two, three, four different systems kind of merged into one. And so even though he's, you know, not on, quote unquote, the hot seat, you know, he deserves some of the blame. But uh, I'd love to see how Scott Fitter, like he, a lot of us, uh, all of us were singing the praises of how he maneuvers a draft and trades and brought, you know, guys like Stephon Gilmore in and, and, and at the time, CJ Henderson. And so like, you have a guy who's like, knowledgeable, smart, works the, works the phones, knows how to do things. But I just need to see him have synergy with the head coach. And I, and I, and I tweeted about this, like, this was doomed to fail when you, you, like what JJ said, the owner goes to somebody's house, hires the, the head coach, gives him a boatload of money, who has personnel uh, power over the GM, then that GM goes and you bring in a, a GM that's supposed to jive with Matt, like, with, like it's just it's just a bad system, right? And so... I think forgive for if we're in a similar vein that we need to give Steve Wilkes a, a fair shot. I'd love to see you know Scott Fitter with a head coach. Hopefully it's it's Steve Wilkes. Hopefully it's somebody else that they, they their chemistry aligns together. Like I feel like the roster build does not work with how they're running a team, right? And so here's uh, one last example for you. Like when they built the team in the off season, I was like, wow, this is a really big downhill powerful attack. They got James Campin as an O-line coach who's known for that. You get, you know, Ikem Ikwanu, Austin Corbett, uh, at the time, Bradley Bozeman. You got Taylor Rowan, you got this, and you got Christian McCaffrey. So let's just go downhill and run play action, right? And then you look at the system, they bring in Ben McAdoo, who's not that guy. And you see, like, how they run it with Baker Mayfield. It's like, this, this does, there's no cohesiveness here. You're, you're mismatching a whole bunch of things. So I'd love to see Scott Ferrer, like, a, a fair shake and how he believes the roster can be instructed and have that alignment with a coach and be like, hey, this is how we want to run things and there's synergy. But it's like everybody's kind of wanting to do their own thing and it doesn't work well together. Just to follow up quick, Edgar, just to make sure mm -hmm. I have this right. I think I know where you're going with this, but do you think he deserves to be here in 2023, Scott Fitter? 
I think I think him and Dan Morgan deserve a shot to see what it's like to run the team and do personnel without Matt Rule. Yes. All right, Bryson, let's go to you on Scott. How much blame does he deserve? And then the follow-up, should he be back in 2023? Yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure how much blame he deserves, um, quite honestly, because we've heard for, for years that since Matt Rule's been here that Matt Rule has had the final say on all roster decisions. And I don't think that changed once they hired Scott Fitterer. So uh, there's no telling really um, what decisions were rules and what decisions were Fitterer's. Um, obviously I think with a lot of the stuff in the draft and trading and, and, and stuff like that, we're more fitter, but, um, with the final say on the roster as it, as it pertains to quarterbacks and everything else, I'm not, I, I can't say for certain, um, that Scott Fitter is to blame for a lot of it. So, um, I think that because of that fog surrounding that, I think that Scott Fitter does get another year and, and I think that's perfectly fine. I think that he's, Earned it for the most part, um, in my opinion, and I think that he is a pretty competent GM for the most part. And um, and and like Edgar was saying, um, just give him a chance next year without a rule in the room, uh, making uh, or having the final say on all these decisions. So I'm, I think, yeah, I think he he's earned another year, and, and I think that they should not let him go. Yeah, I'll jump in here. I like Scott. I really do. I think I like his style of GM. The way he, you know, he wheels and deals. He's very active in season, in the off season, right before the season. It's every all over. And a lot of times you have a GM who's not very active in the season, doesn't want to touch free agency, doesn't want to be pay, big spenders. I feel like there's a happy medium with him. I agree with Bryce. I'd like to see what Scott does, not under the control of Matt Rule. Um, I do think he bears some of the blame with the trades. Uh, I'm sure Matt Rule was the one calling the shots on who to trade for, whether it was Sam Darnold um, or Baker Mayfield. But some of that, I don't know if Matt Rule had a lot of say on how many picks there were given up um, and the parameters of those trades. I feel like that was more of Scott's wheelhouse, and I definitely think they overpaid for Sam Darnold. I don't think we could argue that at all. Um, I thought that was an awful trade, and I feel like he had ha he had some sort of hand in that. So for that, I, I feel like there deserves to be some blame there. But again, I think he deserves a shot, him and Dan Morgan, um, to kind of take this, you know, take the reins on this, and, and we'll get into the coaches later, but have more um, of a hand in that search. Kevin, I want to come to you quick. I know you dipped out for a bit there. I don't know if it was your service or not, but we're, we're talking about Scott Fitterer right now. And if he deserves any blame um, for the state of this roster and, you know, the struggles of this team um, more so the roster. And then the follow-up to that is, does he deserve another year in 2023? Yeah, my, um, my, uh, my trucking team leader called and I, I had to take that call, so that's why uh, I had to ghost you guys. So I do apologize. That was rude of me. Yeah, don't um, be plugging Walmart here. We don't need that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, far as Scott Fitterigo, uh I'm a fan of his. Um, he does have his fingerprints on there, but here's my thing. I don't know if you guys ever known any other GMs who ever – come in with a coach that already has 
final say on personnel decisions. Um, I guess without us being able to confirm it, you know, I like to think, you know, Rule made the decision, but he told Scott to put the deal together to make it happen. You know, that could very well be kind of like, okay, you know, technically he does have the final say. If you want me to get Donna, okay, let me construct how to get Donna or or how to get Baker. Um, I really think, you know, overall, I like to see Scott be a true a traditional GM and be the one that gets to have a say in who he wants um, and things of that nature. Um, his resume in Seattle, um, I feel like warrants that he deserves that chance. Uh, and then along the fact that I like the people that he got behind him, like Dan Morgan and others that he's worked with. Um, I'm just excited to see him get a chance to uh, right the wrongs. Uh, now, with how, how we deal with this cap space and lack of draft capital, hey, that's got to be some some Houdini magic. You know, we see the Saints every year, negative $40 million, and somehow they'll come up with a plus 30 and sign players. So, you know, whatever the loopholes is in the salary cap, I, I hope him and Samir Suleiman can work it out. But, yeah, uh, I think Scott Fitter should get a fair, a fair shake. JJ, thoughts on Scotty? I go back to when we were doing the GM search in um, 2020. And I guess it was 2020, beginning of 2021. I really didn't know who Scott Fitterer was, right? You know, we had all this, all these guys that we thought were prime candidates, um, Adam Peters and um, Dodds from, from the Colts and, you know, all these bigger names that we were targeting. You know, but we ended up with Scott Fitter at the very last moment. I don't know if you all remember that, but he wasn't even a player until they brought him in for an interview. And then he was the guy. Right. And. I felt like they brought in Scott Fitterer to be compatible with Matt Rule, because as you all alluded to, you were dealing with a head coach that had final say on roster decisions. And so. He came into a situation where he knew he wasn't going to have full control of the roster. He was pretty much at the pleasure of his head coach. There has been reports that have been leaked out in the last 24 or so hours about how much control Rue had over all of the football operations, you know, down to social media. Um, I think his tentacles were everywhere in the organization. And that makes me believe that Scott Fitterer's presence and influence really may not be what we thought it was all along, right? You know, I think I think he has been the guy that's been active, but I wonder, has he been active, you know, for his own thoughts about what the team needs, or was he just being an agent for Matt Rule to do things that Matt Rule thought the team needed, right? Um, when it comes to cap and stuff like that, as Kev alluded to, that's the Mir Um, You know, the compensation and stuff, I think they work together as a team to figure out what to trade away to get people that they want. Um, I think Scott, from what I remember, you know, when they hired him, I think he's a respected scout, right? Um, coming from that Seattle organization, um, I think, you know, they're always looking to deal, you know, always in on every deal or whatever that they say they do. And we've seen that. I like it. Like you, Curtis, I like 
the activity. I like somebody trying to make moves, um, you know, to make the team better. And so for that, I like Scott. Um, I wouldn't be upset, you know, for Scott staying and, and, and picking his own coach. I don't know what type of coach he would pick because the only thing I've seen him tied to outside of Carolina is Pete Carroll. And I don't see like a strong coaching tree coming from the Seattle Pete Carroll coaching tree. Daniel Quinn. Yeah. But Pete Carroll, but Gus Bradley, I believe, came from that tree. He didn't do well. Um, Bevel, you know, who's down in Miami now, he really didn't ascend when he left. And so I can't remember anybody coming from that tree and having wild success. And so I don't know if he'll go back to the guys that he knows from his time there, or if he'll go out and look at one of these up and coming offensive guys or defensive guys um, and say, you know, let's let me pair myself with with that person. Or, you know, if he can look at Steve Wilkes objectively and say, man, I kind of like the way that this guy is turning this thing around. If he does that, you know, I can work with Steve. Right. I just don't know who Scott is. I will say this. The best examples of turnarounds I've seen recently have been those times where the GM and the head coach came in together. Right. You know, you look at what's happening with the Giants. You know, that guy came originally came from Carolina. Right. I can't say his name. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Sheen, Sean, whatever his name is. Um, But he brought Judge with him. And everybody saw the right on the wall. And so when you see that, what. Edgar was alluding to earlier. You know, that is called alignment. We haven't been aligned, you know, for years. For years, we haven't been aligned. We won't be a winning organization. We won't see complementary football. We won't see things that make sense in Carolina until you have perfect alignment between your GM and your head coach, right? So I was telling somebody this earlier today. I don't care if they get rid of Scott Fitterer, as long as they find a GM who has the, the perfect vision for what the Carolina Panthers should be and hire the perfect coach to align with him to bring in the coordinators and everybody that needs to be um, in alignment to build the team the right way. Um, you know, like, for example, if Scott Fitterer doesn't really want to draft the first round QB, but the head coach they hire want to, you know, to, to draft one of these top rookie QBs, then you're already starting off on the wrong foot. Scott Federer came from a background where they believe they can find a guy like Russell Wilson in the third round, right? You know, he alluded to that when they talked to him before this draft. You know, like, you know, you can get a quarterback later, you know, if the value's there, and you can build around that type of guy. So I, I, I like Scott. You know, I'd be cool if he stays around. Like, he's done enough to make me feel like, you know, he can build a team. Um, I think he has a vision. But if they go get somebody, I'm just I'm throwing a name out here. A bigger-than-life type coach like a Sean Payton, if that somehow can happen. I'm not saying that it will, but I do like Sean. If Sean yeah, we'll, doesn't we'll want, get into that. We'll get I, into I know, that. I know. But if, 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 if Sean doesn't want Scott, though, then what would Tepper do? Yeah. yeah. I want to talk about while we're on the Tepper or on the Fitter conversation, I want 
just real quick, just a couple of players, if any at all. But we've seen the reports that have come out that the Panthers, you know, a lot of teams think they're going to fire sale and trade all these players away. They need capital. We talked, they got four draft picks this upcoming year. They're in cap hell right now for this upcoming season. Bryson, I'll start with you. Any players come to mind that you'd be willing to part ways with right now um, to gain some of that back? Or do you, you don't have to pick any. If you want this roster and maybe, you know, the win now mode and see if Wilkes can get this thing on the right track this year. Yeah, I, I, for the most part, I would like to keep the young core together. Um, but I, I tweeted the other day that I would consider moving Christian McCaffrey, uh, Shaq Thompson, and uh, Robbie Anderson, and Dante Jackson. Those are the four players that I would consider moving. Um, they would free up cap space substantially and also are aging, and Dante Jackson just isn't good. So um, I think that those <clears throat> those players uh, would be the four I would consider. Um, obviously, if, if they got blown away with some offer for, like, Derek Brown, or um, I don't think I would even take offers for Brian Burns or Chin or J.C. Horn, but uh, but if they were blown away for, for Derek Brown or Taylor Moten, maybe I would consider, but nobody passed that. Edgar, what about you? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I know that they talk about retool versus rebuild. So, like, I, I don't even know what this team is going forward, right? So, like, if we lose the rest of these games, like, I, I, I'm, I like what Bryson said. Like, I, the young core, the people that are on the rookie contracts, like, I'm not giving up Derek Brown, Bri- uh, Brian Burns, uh, Ike McQuanu, like, unless, like, what Bryson said, unless, like, people are going to give us, like, five first round picks, and, like, sure, why not? But, um, if, I, if it were me, like, I would, like, semi-blow it up. Like, I'd keep the core and just get rid of everything else and start anew. But that doesn't go – that doesn't – like, what – I know we're going to talk about Steve Wilkes, but it doesn't really give him a fair shot. And so, like, I don't know exactly where we would go, but I, I'm pretty much on the same wavelength as Bryson. Yeah, I would answer calls. I, I, I don't think that hurts. Pick up the phone, answer the call. Um, I don't know if I'm moving a ton of guys, though. I think this team has some pretty good talent on this roster. And I think a coach and a competent quarterback puts them in the competing level and they're they're operating at a pretty good clip just personally. Um, so I don't know if I'm trading many guys and some of the contracts they've done. It's hard to move on some of these players. Kevin, what about you? I know you're the cap guy. You you got the numbers on the cap spaces. Is there anyone you're willing to part with here? Um, the push came to shove. Um, there are a few guys I, I would be willing to, but only if the price is right. Like we're not just gonna, you know, give people away for pennies on the dollar. Uh, as far as uh, you mentioned the cap, yeah, the, uh, the the bonus for us is that the new TV contract deals that were done. Um, that's going to, after this season, that's going to really boost us salary cap wise. So if we can get a coach that can, you know, coach the talent we got up now, I think it's worth keeping, um, the, like you said, the core together. Um, because truth be told, you know, the bulk of the money that's got us over the cap actually can be restructured and with the new TV. A uh, contract coming in that's going to um, jump up the salary cap for the next uh, five years. Uh, what what are they projected? To... Don't mean to cut in. What are they projected right now as the team sits of over the cap, under the cap for next year? Because I thought they're over. Am I wrong on that? 
Yeah, currently right now, entering 2023 uh, is right at about 30 million over. You know, but you know, we've been eating up a lot of dead cap, you know what I'm saying, for the past three years as well, letting go players before their contract was up. So that's also a factor um, as well. But but um, overall, though, you know, whether you, the thing about blowing up for draft picks, I mean, it's a crapshoot with these draft picks. You got to hit on these draft picks. You know, so if you give away talent and you're not, you know, getting, you know, do just return back on that talent, then you just really made a problem even bigger that could have easily been negotiated. Like I said, if you had the right, if you had the right um, coach that could uh, coach these guys up. JJ, give me players. Anyone you'd, you'd be willing to part ways with at this moment. Uh, JJ is going to say Shy Smith. <laughs> Never. Um, thank you for coming to me. I've been waiting for this question. I'm going to say something that's going to feel like a hot take, but it's not hot. I think it's a smart take. Y'all might not like it. Brian Burns is the only dude that makes sense. If I was trading away a guy to try to get a first round draft pick where I wouldn't suffer a cap hit, you know, or, you know, have to eat some dead cap to make the, the deal happen. It would be Brian Burns because he's going into his fifth year next year. There's no guarantee that he's going to want to resign with Carolina. Yeah, we can franchise him the year after that and all that stuff. But what I don't want is a guy that's unhappy to be here, right? Brian may want to be a Panther for life. I don't know. But if somebody called and offered a first-round draft pick for Brian Burns, I would take it. I would take it. And the reason I would take it is because that Esther first-round draft pick gives you some, some bargaining power when you go into the 2023 draft. Um, and, you know, maybe you can package those picks up and trade up in the draft if you want to go get a quarterback. Maybe you can get a guy like Will Anderson to replace Brian Burns with and still get your quarterback with the other first-round pick. Um, and, you, and then you get another five-year deal with a young pass rusher who can pretty much replace the productivity that Brian Burns gave you. Um, and so for me, the easy button would be Brian Burns. And I know, you know, this year we would lose our number one pass rusher, one of the top pass rushers in the league. Um, and he's grown a lot. I love Brian Burns, by the way. Anybody listening, I love Brian Burns. I'm not offering him up. But when I just think about the – I don't marry players. I think about the business sense. And when I look at the our cap figures and who's the most tradable, you know, return on – you know, on value or whatever you call that, is Brian Burns. Um, the next guy would probably be Robbie Anderson. And not because AJ, it makes you're my... playing with fire. <laughs> oh, I know. I play with fire every day. Um, but it's not I, – I love Robbie Anderson. And I, I know um, – <laughs> and I hate because I know that somebody listening to this is probably going to be really mad at me. Uh, That's what Christmas. I was referring to. Yeah. And so, um, but I wonder how committed Robbie Anderson is to Carolina now that his guy is gone. Matt Rule was Robbie's guy. He was loyal to, to Matt Rule for reasons that go before Carolina back at Temple and all that. And, and, and Matt, when he got his job in the NFL, who was his first big signing? Robbie Anderson. Now that Matt is gone, 
I know Robbie's a professional, but he may be looking around the league himself and thinking, hey, look, man, this is a lost season. I still believe I can, you know, be a, a big time player for a winning team. Green Bay needs somebody. Kansas City may need somebody. Um, let me go and see if one of these guys wants to come and get this this contract. And that's the, really, to me, that's the only hindrance in him being traded right now is just how gaudy that restructure, whether, first of all, the second extension and the restructure makes this contract look, it makes it look unattractive. Um, but yeah, I would, I would like for Robbie to stay on the team, but I think wide receiver is our deepest position group. And I think it can work out for both parties, especially now that his coach is gone. So Brian Burns, Robbie Anderson, you know, would be my top two candidates. Um, and J.C. Horn, to me, is the only guy that's really, truly untouchable. All right, I just want to give uh, say thank you to Kevin for coming on. He had to dip out early to go to work. Kevin Avery, Four Man Rush, go listen to their podcast. Great guys over there. I want to move to finally Steve Wilkes. Um, he had his press conference today, obviously named the interim head coach. Pepper said in his press conference, which I thought was very interesting, if he does an incredible job, put an asterisk on incredible, he has to be in consideration. Um, very interesting choice of words by Tepper there. Edgar, I'll start with you. Um, what's an incredible job in your mind? I posed this tweet earlier tonight, a poll. I want you to quantify it for me. What does Wilkes need to do wins, wins-wise, competitiveness, whatever way you want to look at it, in this season, 2022, to strip the interim tag from his title? It's a good one. Um, I, I said, like, I tweeted the reverse. I said, if he makes the playoffs, he's it. You cannot take get rid of him. If he makes the playoffs, he's, he's good, he's solid, he's golden, right? But after that, it's where it gets a little gray, right? Like, if he loses all his games and he wins all of December games, does that – does that bring him back, right? Does he, if he wins these first two games coming up, like against the Rams, he beats the Rams, and he, be, he gets some, he beats the Saints, he gets some, he gets some, um, some credibility, but then he loses the rest of the games. Like, how does that look like? So, like, it's hard to quantify. It's almost, it's almost like depends on which games and what happens. But with absolute certainty, like, if he gets to the point, like, to the promised land or is in contention, remember, they're still one and zero in the NFC South, right? Like, it's still wide open for him to 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 take turn the ship around. Uh, I tweeted this and I said, hey, uh, above average defense, above average offensive line, a running game, you have the elements to be successful. And it was always just missing, um, not necessarily a strategist, but like a leadership thing. I know that people have been talking about it, like this this, this, this rallying, this leader of men is what they were missing. This press conference, the way he, he even walked into the room, like that's what they were missing. Like, is that enough to take a spark into a flame? Um, so it's hard to say, like, it must be X amount of wins. Um, but I will say, like, if enough, you know, if he if he does enough that like the fans are rallying around him, there's, there's like, a, a positive energy around them. It'd be very, very, very difficult for someone to like, especially someone like Tepper, who's under a lot of heat already, to like burn his fan base again by ditching a guy that like everyone's rallying around. But it's hard to quantify what those wins look like. I just know that if he makes the playoffs, he's in. He's solid. He's coming back. Bryson. 
Yeah, I, I think it was very interesting. Um, uh, another thing from Tepper's press conference is saying that Carolina's never had a winning culture. And then Wilkes comes out the next day and says, I was here when we won. Like, I know what it takes. Uh, we won back three times in a row, NFC South champs. Like, I, I was here when we won, and I, and I know what it takes. So I, I'm not really sure if, if they're seeing eye to eye, maybe. Um, but I think if Wilkes were to get this team into the playoffs, um, obviously, Tepper would have no choice but to bring him back. Uh, I don't think that, you know, take, taking a one and four team, turning the ship around midseason when everything looks like a disaster with a hurt quarterback, um, PJ Walker starting currently. Uh, and if he were to get this team into the playoffs, he would not only keep his job, but be in contention for coach of the year, probably. So uh, I think that he really wouldn't have a choice at that point. I think personally, if Wilkes could get six or seven wins, um, I'm really taking a hard look at bringing him back and, and giving him at least another year, um, probably sign him to a two-year contract and 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 just see what he can do. Because uh, like, like everybody's mentioned, uh, you know, Steve Wilkes is, is a Charlotte guy, went to high school in Charlotte, played football at Appalachian State. He knows he knows the mantra of keep pounding. Like if 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 there's any coach in that in that uh, front office and on that team in general that knows that mantra, it's Steve Wilkes um, currently. So I think that he is a leader of men. Um, he did not get a fair shake in Arizona. Everybody knows that. Uh, Rosen was uh, one of the biggest busts of the century um, and uh, didn't get to pick his own coaching staff. So I think that if he can personally, if he can get six or seven wins, I would consider bringing him back. But I think Tepper's really only with, with the, what you had mentioned, Curtis, with the incredible, does an incredible job. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's talking playoffs. And, um, and at that point, he wouldn't have a choice. Yeah, I, I'm thinking seven or eight, seven or eight wins for them. Um, I think if they make the playoffs and you don't hire them, you're going to lose the fan base. I mean, it's just that simple. But what's crazy about it is I pulled this up. Rich Basachi took over the Raiders last year, brought them to the playoffs, and they didn't hire him. So, again, I think it's a little bit different circumstances, the way the state of this team is and how Wilkes and his, you know, that he's coming from Charlotte. And, he, you know, he's he's been so much intertwined into this organization that, if they didn't make the plus, I really think you'd lose a fan base if they didn't hire them. Um, but I'm thinking that seven or eight mark win. I mean, the cards are stacked against them. Baker's hurt. You're rolling with your third string quarterback right now. Um, and we don't know for how long it's very up in the air. I think we'll find out a little bit more tomorrow. There's a couple of guys banged up on defense, three starters this past week might be four now with JC Horn. We don't know how long he's going to be out. So the cards are definitely stacked against them. So I think people need to take the approach with Wilkes. You know, don't expect this guy to come in and win five, six games in a row. They have a really tough schedule coming up here, the hardest stretch of this year. So I think he needs to be taken with a grain of salt, but he definitely needs to be in consideration for next year. Um, I might be coming off the high of his press conference, but the way he commanded that room and talked was, I mean, it was a, it was awesome. It really was. That's something it we haven't great. seen in Carolina in three years. It was, he was, <laughs> he was outstanding in that presser and you, you can tell very clear vision. He knows what he wants. I think the players know what he expects just from the command he had in that press conference. 
and I'm really pulling for him. But JJ, I know you're itching to talk, so I'll let you go. No, I mean, I think I'm right there with you all. I was trying to think of a a, a good way to quantify it. Uh, I think it's hard to put a number on it, but to me, I remember Dave Tepper saying, you know, somebody asked him like, what does success look like? And he was like, you know, getting more wins than you had the year before, right? Matt Rule's first two years, he, you know, he accumulated five wins in each year, right? So just five. Both years, he started out three and two, right? And only won two more games after that, right? And to end up with five wins for each season. I think for Steve Wilkes, if Steve Wilkes can go from one and four to just, if he, if he ends up six and 11, so six wins, right? Six total wins. Um, I think I would have to give him serious consideration. Six total wins and the other games being really competitive, right? The team showing fight, you know, we could lose, you know, by a field goal or one score or whatever. No molly whoppings, you know, just straight competitive um, games, teams fighting through it. But if we ended up 6 and 11 off of one and four, I think I would have to give um, Steve Wilkes some serious consideration. My only reservation to Steve Wilkes, and I would have the same reservation for any defensive um, head coach, is who's going to actually be your offensive coordinator going forward? They can't help but stick with Ben McAdoo right now because he installed the entire system. They can't bring in another person. And with their scheme and lingo and all that stuff and the spec for the quarterbacks, skilled players, offensive line, you know, to all adjust to that midway through a season. So he's kind of stuck with McAdoo. If I was Dave Tepper, and even if I saw, you know, a five, six wins this year, I would have to sit with him and say, hey, look, man, do you have the ability to bring in a really good offensive coordinator who's going to come and marry themselves to you? Not come in and be the hot name and leave us, but can come in and work with you, maybe develop a young quarterback so we can sustain what we saw this year. Um, and, you know, and maybe it's Ben McAdoo. Maybe he shows something different now that Rule is gone. Maybe Rule was holding him back. You know, that's the one. I mean, I, we won't talk about that too much, but I've always been concerned about, you know, we've been really critical of Ben McAdoo and the things we haven't seen in the offense. But now that we know that Rue has so much control over what happened, you know, with everything, I wonder how much he allowed Ben McAdoo to actually implement, you know, to show us. He's very conservative. And so I wonder, you know, we even want priest, pre, whatever. This is about Steve Wilkes. Six wins, and I'll have to give him strong consideration. All right. I, I got a question for everybody, and I'll pose it to Curtis, and then we'll, we'll go around. Um, but this is surrounding uh, the number on Edgar's shirt there. Um, there's been talk around the uh, – <laughs> Curtis is already shaking his head. There's been talk around the league and around Panthers Twitter. Um, Cam Newton is very close with Steve Wilkes, and uh, even Carolina Blitz, uh, Vashti, on a podcast today said that Cam Newton would answer the phone if Steve Wilkes called and that she, she thinks Cam would sign with the Carolina Panthers if they called him. Um, obviously, 
uh, we have Baker. We don't know how serious the injury is, and and that would be uh, definitely a weird situation, especially with Sam Darnold on the team as well. But um, if you're Carolina and you know you got all this going with Wilkes and uh, kind of trying to bring back the the old way of of doing things in Carolina and that and the whole keep pounding mantra, I mean, do you consider giving Cam Newton a call? I will preface it with this: I love Cam Newton arguably one of my favorite players uh, on this team. I'm just done with it. I, I think it's time to move on. I was that way a couple of years ago. Um, it was great to see him back in Arizona, but I just think this, we need to, we need to move on. That's all I'm going to say on it. Edgar, go ahead. I think he's, he's a weapon. He's a, one thing that JJ said many times that that always JJ a lot of things that you say always resonate with me. So like you're like my 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 Yoda. Like you have so much wisdom, and I, and I and I and I take it all in, right? Like there are no alphas on this team, man. Like who's gonna fire up this offense? It's not Christian McCaffrey. It's not DJ Moore. Where's your where's your alpha leader? And I thought Baker was gonna bring that, and maybe again maybe Matt Rule kind of bottled him up or said like you need to do X Y and Z. But like maybe Cam as as a weapon. Maybe Cam as a as a as a Taysom Hill as a, as a but like he has value in this league, and I think he didn't get a fair shake last year. He came in learning a new offense. He brought Washington. He she should have won the Washington game. They won Arizona. I know he looked terrible against Miami, but like he has value. And as much as I'd love to move on, to be honest, I'd rather see Matt Corral out there than Cam Newton. But we don't have those options. And if there's there's nobody else, I know JJ brought up uh, talked about Nick Foles or people options. Like I, I I'll take anybody. I'm not gonna say it must be Cam, but I wouldn't. How could I not be excited if they said like, "Hey, Cam, we need you. We're we're down to nobody. We've got everybody with injured injured ankles, and um, we need someone to to bring the alpha and the leadership back. Like, why not?" And 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 let's look at another perspective. We thought going into the season, the best case scenario is like they'd be barely over five hundred. If this if this season is like looking like that, like the best case scenario is six wins, then why not try? What nothing short about bringing a rookie quarterback in and having them develop anything short of that like i don't know about where they're at with sam darnold i feel like he's already gone like he's already been evaluated like it's either baker mayfield or bus and if baker mayfield's missing a lot of time you might as well bring in somebody that can like bring some fire back to this team i want to jump in before jj goes because it's going to be about a 10 minute monologue but um i want to say this i don't see the difference in the situation with bringing cam back last year and giving him seven days to get ready and then throwing him out and not even seven days. It was like a couple days and he was starting that week. Um, so I think it's way too hard to bring him in mid season. Uh, Cam has admitted he struggled learning the playbook in new England. It took him a while to do that. Uh, bringing him in mid season with a very complex offense that Ben McAdoo's is Baker Mayfield admitted it. Sam Darnold has talked about it. Ben McAdoo's offense. We've all seen the sheet on TV. I mean, it's like a fucking encyclopedia. It's it's a lot of shit to handle. And to bring Cam Newton in this far, I say they roll with PJ until Sam or Baker is healthy. PJ's 2-0. He didn't look too bad versus San Fran in that last drive, if you guys saw it. I know they're playing probably a very basic defense at the end of that game. Give PJ the shot and, and see what happens. I just think there's way too much to try to bring in Cam. And I'm also sick of the narrative. We need to move on from Cam. And, and real but quick, go ahead, before, yeah, no, real quick, because I, I got to respond to that. Uh, um, 
There is, there is, there is a big difference um, bringing Cam this season than last season. That's the offensive line, first of all. Um, the offensive line this year is leaps and bounds above what Cam Newton was behind last season. Um, as as it pertains to the playbook, um, you you make it work with the players that you have. You don't you don't mold your system and, and put square pegs in a round hole. So whatever Cam Newton is used to, that's what that's that's the term that you. I'm sure the offense hasn't changed substantially from last season to this season. I know they changed coordinators, but it was still under Matt Rule. There's probably still a lot of the lingo that's the same. So I don't think Cam Newton would come in completely blind and unaware of anything. Um, Cam Newton's a smart guy. He, he knows the league. Um, behind a, a completely different offensive line with probably the best roster he's ever played on. And I just think uh, – Without a doubt, in my mind, Cam Newton is a better option than P.J. Walker. So, I actually bet there. I want to rebuttal quick. I do agree with the offense line. You're right there. But I do think this offense is very different than last year. It's very RPO heavy. J.J., go ahead. I'll just say what my uncle said to me before I headed up to Charlotte on Sunday. He said, I hate it that they brought Cam back last year. And he said, because you guys were moving on and get to a point where it felt like you were healing from that. And then it kind of like, you know, ripped the bandaid off and, you know, opened the wound, reopened the wound. And we had to like redeal with all of that emotionally again. Right. And I know for me personally, you know, I wasn't going to any games last year. And then they said Cam was coming back and I went and got my ticket to go to Washington, to go to the game versus Washington. Um, because of the excitement. And um, as a fan, I love Cam. I, I know that's been questioned <laughs> over the last year or so. I love the dude. My son, that's my, my son's favorite player. My son is 14. My son said no. Because he don't want to see it. You know, as somebody that he loves to be thrown into a situation where he can look bad again. And then the narrative is about him looking bad again. Cam is bigger than the average player, right? And he's humongous in Charlotte. You can't just throw him into a situation like he's a journeyman, you know, like any old journeyman, and, and just say, okay, let's see how that looks, right? Because if it looks great, everybody's happy, you know, the fan base is just elated, but it's a higher probability that it's going to look bad. And when it looks bad, that becomes the narrative. Cam sucks. You know, you see it all over the all over Twitter, all over ESPN. It's all focused on how bad Cam is looking. And I think it's an injustice to bring him into a situation where he may look bad. If Bryce, you know, to his point, if I could trust that they would bring Cam in and say, hey, look, Cam, we've seen years of film of what you like to do well, right? We're going to be power. You know, we're going to run a lot of, you know, read option, um, RPO, you know, let you, you know, pick the easy throws, you know, but we don't have a great tight end. Cam loves a good tight end. Um, and he had all the success with Greg Olson. We don't have that, right? We don't have some of the things that Cam really loves. Um, and I think he needs to flourish as a passer. And so because we don't have that, I think he would be set up to look bad. The difference being, I mean, other than the offensive line, because that is an improvement from last year. 
I think Steve Wilkes would take care of him better than Matt Rule did when he looked bad, right? The one thing I hated about Matt Rule going back to last year is that Sam Donald had multiple games where he had multiple turnovers. This year, Baker Mayfield has had games where he had multiple turnovers. Last year when Cam Newton had multiple turnovers, he went out and said, we can't have that. You know, like can't have your quarterback turning the ball over multiple times. I could tell that Matt Rule really didn't want Cam, right? Steve Wilkes, I think if he brought Cam in, I think he would be more patient with him. But I don't think he has a lot of time to be patient with him either. You know, both of those guys are really trying to prove that they can still do it. Steve Wilson's trying to prove that he can coach. Um, I don't know if I would, in that situation, if I'm Steve Wilkes, if I would go and, and break that glass to prove to the NFL that I can coach. Because if it fails, you know, with Cam Newton, nobody's going to give Steve Wilson an excuse either, right? You know, so I brought up Nick Foles earlier because somebody was asking um, about, you know, like, why not call number one up? Not Why not call Cam? Um, is there anybody else out there who knows Ben McAdoo's offense? Well, Nick Foles knows it because he was down in Jacksonville for a year with him and um, who was the other issue. But they both had to learn Ben McAdoo's offense. They know the lingo. They know what he likes to do. Um, Nick Foles would know LaVisca Chenault, right? And I don't know what Nick Foles is doing, or even if he's interested in playing football. But if, I, if I'm an offensive coordinator, and I was like, nah, man, you know, I can't trust P.J. Walker, you know, for the next two or three games. If Baker's out for two or three games, Sam isn't healthy. Who can I call to where I can just bring in and within a week they can be up to speed, you know, on the playbook? That's Nick Foles. And so, so that's the rationale behind that. But, you know, about Cam, if it was me for Cam, I would just say, no, this isn't the best opportunity. It feels right. But to me, it's just, again, opening or reopening the wound. And um, and I think if we keep doing that year over year over year, Cam is just getting older. I think as fans, I think it won't allow us to move and migrate towards who's going to be next any sooner. I think we have to just let it go. Yeah, um, I was going to uh, mention um, uh, something that I just saw on Twitter. Uh, Sheena had just uh, on her show she does on Fox uh, Sports, I think it is, uh, the, the local Fox affiliate there in Charlotte, said that Baker's walking around not in a boot and without a limp in the locker room. So we'll, we'll see what that means. But, you know, um, I've seen that too, and I thought that was interesting because I thought I saw a report yesterday that he is going to fight and try his damnedest to play this weekend. And I don't remember where I saw that from. And it was after the initial report came out from Rappaport. It was Pelosori. Yeah. Pelosori. And I thought that was interesting. And we know Baker from last year. I mean, he's going to, he's going to do his damnedest to play, but I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, Bryson, do you want to, I don't think you had an answer or you didn't answer yet on cam. I want to know your, I mean, I know your take, but I want the listeners to know. Yeah. Your I take mean, on. obviously uh, I would love Cam Newton back in Carolina, but the, I mean, the only way that I would be okay with it is if that's what he wanted. And I, and from what it sounds like 
you know, with his relationship with Steve Wilkes and what uh, the people closest to him are reporting is that he would answer the call and that he would sign. So uh, I don't, I can't, you know, obviously we don't know that for certain unless it did happen and it came out that he didn't answer the call. But um, I think that is, if that's what Cam wanted, I think that they can make it work. And um, JJ was saying, you know, if, if it didn't work out, you know, like Wilkes obviously would be facing the blame, but imagine if it did work out, <laughs> that would be a story for the ages uh, in Carolina. It would go down as a, as a legendary, but um, obviously I'm, I'm biased. Uh, Cam Newton's my favorite player of all time. And um, I, I just think that, you know, if, if Baker were to be seriously injured, um, obviously I don't want to see Sam Darnold on, on the field again. I wish he wasn't in a Carolina Panthers Jersey. He still is, but uh, I think Cam is better than PJ, and I think you know maybe that was something that they would take a look at if uh, Baker was seriously injured. Uh, as for Nick Foles, uh, he is the backup in Indianapolis to Matt Ryan, so they may need him there um, because Matt Ryan has been dog shit in, in Indianapolis. So I want I want to make clear of this: I do think Cam Newton is better than PJ Walker, so I don't want anyone thinking that. I just think they need to move on. It is time. It is let me, way let, overdue. Let me say this about the about you know the whole Cam and PJ thing, right? You know what the biggest mistake was when they brought Cam back last year? They brought Cam back knowing that he hadn't learned the offense. In that Arizona game, PJ came and basically played in between the 20s. They got close to the goal line, they put Cam in, and we know that he's a he's a short yardage weapon. He's always gonna be that. He's six foot five, 250 pounds, long, athletic. He's he's going to be a goal line threat. I think their mistake is believing that they couldn't stick to that type of that type of plan. I think Bryson mentioned earlier, like uh, or maybe it was Edgar, the Taysom Hill type role. Um, one thing we don't know about Cam is if he's willing to play that type of role, right? You know, Cam came in last year and they paid him starter money. They gave him ten million dollars, so he knew that he was going to get a chance to start. If Cam was willing to play that role, and I'm just talking about just football here, not about the Carolina Panthers per se, but just anywhere, I think he would have more opportunities than what he has now. Um, Because that's the best wildcat weapon you can have. But I don't know if he's willing to accept that. Um, Again, um, if I don't know what they'll do, what I prefer, is that Baker, if Baker wants to play, regardless of whether it's smart or not, I want to see Baker. Playing. He's yeah, playing. I, yeah, I, I want I want to see well, Baker. Yeah, I want to see Baker under not Matt Rules. Yes. That's whatever what, that's, you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I, I look at Teddy and I know who you know what Teddy is and what Teddy ain't. I look at Sam. We kind of know what Sam is and what Sam isn't. Baker, I believe, I believe the the common denominator for all those guys, regardless if they're not great quarterbacks or not. Um, I've seen Baker be better than both guys, right? Baker doesn't look anywhere near even the Baker of last year when he was hurt in Carolina. And I just can't believe that he fell off that much. Not saying he was ever great, but I know he was better than number 32, right? Or whatever number he is in the league right now. I would love to see what they do without having Matt Rule's oversight over the offense and see if it looks different. 
if he comes back and he still looks trash, then it is what it is. Mm-hmm. But I would love to see him come back and compete, you know, as long as it's really not, you know, doing any damage to his ankle or whatever. But I, I would love to see him come back, you know, fight for this team, fight for his career, fight for Steve Wilkes. You know, because Steve Wilkes, talking about Steve Wilkes, Steve Wilkes, large reason he took the job in, in, in Cleveland in 2020 is because he believed in Baker Mayfield. 2019. 2019, I'm sorry. 2019. That was the second year of Baker, right? So yeah. Baker's second year, he said that a large reason he took the defensive coordinator position was because Baker was there and he believed Baker was the right type of quarterback and he had the alpha mentality. Steve Wilkes wanted to draft Baker in 2018. And there's, there's articles out there, you know, from Arizona. When he was a head coach, he wanted to draft Baker. Nobody knew Baker was going number one. So when Steve Wilkes said what he said today about Baker, he had some really good remarks about who he thought Baker was. He really believes in Baker. So I think the, the kismet, you know, part of this is that he finally gets Baker, right, you know, to himself as a head coach, the guy that he wanted to draft instead of Josh Rosen. And so I would love to see Baker come back and play his best ball, you know, while they're both fighting, you know, for their standing in the league. So that's the story I want to see. All right, let's end on this. I want to talk, I want to know, this is kind of a little prediction, but I want to see where you guys stand on some of these candidates. So if Wilkes isn't it, who is on your short list of potential head coaches? And Edgar, you haven't talked in a bit, so let's go to you first on this. couple guys that you are – and Wilkes might be on that list, but who do you like for Tepper, Fitter, Dan Morgan, whoever's calling the shots on this? Who Who is in your kind of top three-ish of coaches for this next season? Yeah, I mean, I, I I said it before, but like I want alignment, I want synergy, I want a GM and a head coach whose vision and and how they want to run a team is the same. I don't know the coaches well enough to know who's in a line with Bitter and Dan Morgan. That you know, we point lines to connections that they've worked before. So Ken Dorsey and, and Dan Quinn are very obvious candidates because of connections um, that they've had in previous stops. Um, so those are obvious candidates for me. I know um, JJ and I love like these younger offensive coordinators, Shanahan tree type, uh, which I'm down for as long as like it's in alignment if that's what the GM wants. Um, and then if it's Sean Payton, like I, you know, I know a lot of Panthers fans hate Sean Payton of what he was, but it's almost like you hate him because like he was so good at his craft. He was so good at being an alpha. He was so good at being a leader of men. He was so good at like taking any guy, whether they were, you know, Drew Brees or people from, from New Orleans, like just, just, you know, from the deep South, like he could just, he could reach all these people and get them to play at their max capacity. And he was also an offensive, like strategist genius type. Right. And so if they go with the Sean Payton route, I almost want to like jettison Scott Fitterer and, 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 and Dan Morgan. Cause I just, I just, I just want to start a new, like it's, it's a clean slate. So it's whether it's them choosing the person or if it's someone that has the, the reputation of a Sean Payton and he gets to like do the, the, the things that he needs to do. I know we just ran, you know, we just had Matt rule do that exact same thing, personal decisions, head coach, but Sean Payton's proven it in the, at this level. Like we know that it works. And so if you're going to spend a lot of money, if you're going to spend draft picks, you're going to do something like that would be the guy. But if it's not him, somebody in alignment with Fitter and Morgan. 
Before Bryson jumps in, I want to ask you this. This is not how I feel. This is a question. This has got a curiosity. Is Sean Payton that great with only winning one Super Bowl with Drew Brees? Yes. The reason I believe Sean Payton is that great is because although he only won one Super Bowl, I've seen the Saints be competitive every year. And I'll tell you the I'll tell you when I realized that Sean Payton was a really great coach was when he took Taysom Hill and they almost made the playoffs in 2020, right? Like he didn't have a quarterback. Like they took Taysom Hill. I, I forget who they played with. No, who was it 2020 or 2021? It was it was Simeon full time, Taysom Hill. And they were out there, you know, pushing teams to the limit and winning games they shouldn't have won. And they had a lot of people down. You know, to me, it's what you can do in those moments, you know, that prove your worth as a coach more so than all the times you made the playoffs. Um, and, and that's what I like about Sean Payton is the fact that, you know, regardless, you know, Steve Wilson, said today we went to the NFC championship or we won the not NFC championship we won the NFC South three years in a row right he was part of that but Dave Tepper was right too and everybody knows our history we haven't had two consecutive winning seasons in the whole history of the Carolina Panthers I think Sean Payton is a guy that can bring that type of culture to where yeah you may not compete for a Super Bowl every year but I think you'll be contending for the playoffs every year He's All right, let's well, well, let's go to Bryson, and then I'm going to ask you your candidates. But okay. Bryson, candidates, short list. If Wilkes is in it, who are, who who do you got? Top three. Yeah, I think right now um, my focus is on Steve Wilkes and and seeing the job that he can do in Carolina, and then reassessing at the end of the season uh, based off of this team's play. Uh, Sean Payton is obviously a, a very enticing name to throw around um he's still under contract with the saints so the panthers would have to trade for sean payton um and god knows what new orleans would ask from <laughs> carolina to get that uh from uh from new orleans get a coach of his caliber so uh not willing to part with any high round draft picks to get a head coach i think bryce, that bryce, bryce can i ask this question and i'm sorry to interrupt i just no, want to know for anybody on the on, on the on the panel um is there a way that Sean Payton can go back to the ownership of the New Orleans Saints and renegotiate his contract to basically let him out? You remember when Gronk, as a player, was able to get out of his deal with the Patriots and then he signed with the, the Bucks? Yeah. Is there a way for a coach, if he has a great relationship with the owner, you know, to basically go to the ownership and say, hey, look, I would like to, to change my contract to basically – you know, give my rights, get my rights back from the team so I can be free to sign wherever without it being a trade situation. I don't know if the Saints would do that, but if they're willing to do that out of the goodness of their hearts, is there a way for them to do that? Yeah, I, I'm not sure on that. Uh, I, I mean, I'm sure that there. I, if he went back to Gail Benson and, and was begging her to allow him to coach for whatever team he wanted, then maybe um, she would allow it. But uh, I, I can't say for certain. And, and if that was the situation and that did happen, obviously Sean Bainton would be one of my top choices. Um, 
he's a like uh like Edgar said, he has a proven track record. Uh he's he's a good coach. Um you know, he's not one of the greatest coaches of all time that won multiple Super Bowls, but he ha- he's one of the greatest offensive minds of all time in in football. Um I mean, if you're coaching Taysom Hill to winning games and as your quarterback then um I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, Baker would look probably like a top five quarterback under Sean Payton. So, uh, I, I, so I, I like Sean Payton with a couple of discrepancies. Uh, would not trade much for him if that was the case. Uh, I like D'Amico Ryans, the coach we just saw um, kick our ass in, uh, in Carolina this past weekend. He is a defensive-minded head coach, obviously, as a defensive coordinator. Um, it doesn't bother me either way. Um, I – I think a defensive-minded head coach would fit this team better as it's built right now with the pieces that it has anyways. Um, obviously, we need to improve our offense, and hiring an offensive-minded head coach would probably do that quicker. But um, I think that there would be a contingency as to who D'Amico Ryans is bringing in as his offensive coordinator. And I'm sure being over with the 49ers and, and getting to know Kyle Shanahan and people that work under him, he's probably got a couple of ideas of, of, of who – gets that offense and who does it. So um, I like D'Amico Ryans and I like uh, Ben Johnson. Obviously I think he deserves a look uh, offensive coordinator for the lions. He's got Jared Goff and the lions with the top ranked offense in the NFL. So uh, he's doing something right over there. And uh, I think that he deserves a look uh, in Carolina. All right. Before JJ goes, I'm going to Sean Payton never liked him. Never liked him as a coach. I respect him as a coach. Very Tom Brady-esque. Hated him as a player, but he's damn good. Um, If he came here and won a Super Bowl, maybe I like the guy. They brought a Super Bowl to Carolina. But, again, I just – I've never liked him with the Saints out of any of the coaches that this team has played over the years since I've been a fan. Most punchable face in the NFL. I told that to a coworker today. I can't, I serious, I just, there's nothing, I, there's not a, a lot I like about Sean Payton. Um, I think it'd be too much capital. I, me and Bryce were texting the other day, a little bit different situation, but again, this was like early 2000s when this trade happened. John Gruden traded to the box, two first rounders, two second rounders and eight mil. And that wasn't even to a divisional team. So I think it would take a lot for, the Panthers to trade in division with him. I don't know if the Saints would even do it unless it was some crazy package. I definitely think Tepper would. I mean, he's shown that. Sean Payton kind of reminds me of the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes. A dream for Panther fans that wanted to win, disregard all the shit that happened with him, um, but not very likely. And I think uh, that's kind of how I view Sean Payton. Yeah, he would be this outstanding coach, kind of what Tepper wants. Someone who's been in the league has shown success, has won a Super Bowl. But I think there's going to be more attractive jobs out there for him. Granted, Sean Payton went on Coward the other day. Don't even like bringing that guy out, Coward. But anyway, he did say Carolina was an attractive job. But again, you know, he is kind of trying to show himself and, you know, hey, so I, I don't know if that was just talk on TV, but he did say that. So not too not too keen on Sean Payton. I, I'm, I'm kind of in Edgar with this. I do think Ken Dorsey and Dan Quinn make a lot of sense. Dan Quinn has the famous 28 to 3 versus Tom Brady collapse in the Super Bowl. Am I a fan of that? Not at all. <laughs> um, 
So that will be interesting um, to see. I don't really have rankings. I'm just kind of going through some of the guys. I do I do like D'Amico Ryan's, but I'm kind of tired of the defense approach. I think they need to get an offensive guru in here. Obviously, Sean Payton fits that mold. Um, I did want to ask this to you guys for anyone real, on this. Real before. quick, though, uh, about a candidate that you mentioned, Ken Dorsey. Uh, you do know who his likely offensive coordinator would be, right? No, I don't. Who would it be? It would be the quarterback's coach in, in Buffalo right now, and that would Joe be Joe Brady. Brady. Uh, he, oh, he would... yes, that would be hilarious. <laughs> and speaking of that, I wanted to talk about Buffalo a little bit. Hindsight's twenty twenty, Or what would Cam say? Cam would say hindsight's 20. Uh, he would say not 2020. He'd say something weird. 50 50 uh, or something like that. Yeah, something oh, weird. Yeah. My yeah. friends and I always give me shit about that. <laughs> but um, God, if the Panthers got rid of rule last year and listened to you guys, Brian Dable, I mean, that, that is the guy I want. Like yeah. the mentality of him, yes. the, just the everything about him I love. So that would have been awesome. But just going down the list, D'Amico Ryans, I think, would be a really good candidate if they go the defensive route. Um, and I know last year there was talks of him trying to come out as a candidate, and he came out and said he wasn't ready, which I to- I respect. Like, that takes mm-hmm. a lot out of a guy to say that. So that's someone to watch. But I wanted to ask this because he has been talked about time and time again. You see the squabbles with um, Patrick Mahomes on the sidelines. Eric Bieniemy. Do you guys trust him as a coach or why are teams passing on him? Because there, it just seems like every year this guy should be a top candidate every single year for a job. And he, he just isn't. And that kind of concerns me. Um, just, you know, the, you see the stuff on the sideline. So I just wanted to get your guys' take on Bien because I believe Bien was one who was interviewed by Tepper. If I have that right. And he, he was works. one who wanted Cam Newton and to stick with him. But I want to know your guys' thoughts on Eric Bieniemy because that was a lot of the talk when Matt Rule came in. It's, ah, oh, they should have signed Eric. But then you see this other stuff and other teams pass on him. So what do you think is going on with him um, as a coach? And would you be comfortable with him as the leader of this team? Um, I'll go with Eric because Eric was number one on my list doing the Matt Rule search. Um, It's hard to say what's going on with Eric. We know he has some history that went back to when he coached at Colorado. Um, I won't go into that because I can't remember the details, but I remember researching it then. Um, But he had some negative things that happened when he was at Colorado, his alma mater. Um, I think with Eric, I think the, the shadow of of Andy Reid just looms too large, right? You know, everybody knows that Andy Reid is a genius. And although I think there have been some efforts to show Eric being in me calling plays and things of that nature uh, during games, I still believe that everybody just can't separate what's happening in Kansas City from Andy Reid because we've seen Andy Reid be that guy in Philly, you know, and take guys and, and make them and elevate their level of play. And um, and I think another thing that that hurts, well, we say it hurts, but I think one thing that hurt the enemy too was, you know, what happened with um, Nagy up in Chicago, right? 
you know, I think they kind of look at that and say, hey, look, you know, we thought you were a good offensive coordinator, but at the end of the day, you really couldn't figure it out. And I think that's working against Eric right now. I still believe Eric could be a, a good coach, but just the way I'm built, kind of the same way with, you know, talking about the Cam situation. First of all, I don't think Chepper would ever go back to someone that he interviewed before and say, look, I think I missed on you. Let me come back to you and give you a job. Right. I just don't think it's going to happen. So for me, I just removed him from my coaching candidate list, not because I think he's less of a coach, but because I just try to put myself in the mind frame of what is reasonable to happen. And I don't think that he is something that is a um, is something that Tepper would ever do um, for whatever reason. He already interviewed him um, and he didn't hire him. I don't see him giving him a second job a second opportunity for a job. All right. Give us your list. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, Mike, Mike LaFleur is number one. Um, he's the offensive coordinator for the Jets. Um, I started researching Mike last year. You know, he's the, the brother of, is it, what's LaFleur's name? And, and um, Green Matt LaFleur. Matt LaFleur. Oh, I so hear about that fucker all the time. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, because, you know, that's your, that's your region of the country. Um, so no, Mike LaFleur, I think it's the guy who, who has next, you know, I'm a big Shanahan tree guy. I give Shanahan a bunch of grief, but I believe in his style of football. It really hurts to see the 49ers running the exact type of football that I like to play right now. And I think Mike LaFleur comes from the same, um, stuff, you know, the, the pre-stop motions, you know, the, the, the leverage, um, I, I think. Football and what it's evolved to has to be played that way. You see it in, in um, LaFleur and what he's doing in Green Bay. You see it with Shanahan. You see it with what Mike McDaniel has implemented in, in Miami. You see it with McVay. Um, and you also see it with O'Connell, who's in Minnesota now. Them guys are four and one from that same tree. And so you know, the one thing that's kind of held Mike LaFleur back has been he had his rookie quarterback. Well, last year, his, his young quarterback hasn't been healthy a lot. Um, but I like what he brings, and I would like an offense that looks like that because I think that's what the NFL is now. Um, so he's my number one candidate. My number two is Ken Dorsey for obvious reasons. We've already talked about him. Um, I was high on Ken in the offseason because I kind of link what we see Brian Dayball doing in New York I think Ken is a product of that. So if that's a tree, you know, then I think that's a tree that I would like to pull some fruit from. Um, and that would be Ken Dorsey. He'll be coming back home. And so I think, you know, there's a story there. I like the Miko Ryans too. Um, but I was explaining this to someone earlier today. I saw the Miko Ryans, why well, we see the Miko Ryans leading the number one defense in San Francisco now. A couple of years ago, it was it was um, Silent, who's also in New York now. I think they are great defensive coordinators, but I also think having Nick Bosa and Fred Warner on your team makes your defense look a lot better, you know, than if you didn't have those guys on your team, right? And so the Carolina Panthers had a great defense when we had Luke Keekley available to us. Nick Bosa is, is arguably Besides Aaron Donald, the most disruptive defensive lineman in the league. And he can do it in multiple ways. 
Fred Warner is the most versatile linebacker in the NFL. He can cover, he can, he can stop the run, he can do it all. I think that gives D'Amico a lot of flexibility in what he can do on defense. And I'm not saying that he's not, we've heard great things about D'Amico. He's a leader of men, um, you know, but I think when you have guys like that, it's hard for me to know what you can really do because you, you're doing it with elite talent, right? You didn't develop the elite talent. You inherited the elite talent from the last guy who did it with that same talent. And so um, I would love, you know, if they went that route. But again, if it's, if you bring in a guy like D'Amico, who's going to be your offensive coordinator? Because the Carolina Panthers, have, they have to do this. And I wasn't a guy like this a couple of years ago, but I'm that guy now because of what I've seen for the last three seasons. We're going to have to draft a quarterback and develop a quarterback. So if you don't have a legit offensive-minded coach or an offensive coordinator that you can trust to develop somebody young, I think we're still setting ourselves behind because the, the NFL is an offensive-driven league. Until you find somebody that can take advantage of what the offensive um, game gives you, because that's where it's slanted towards, I think you're always going to be behind the eight ball. You're always going to be playing catch-up um, because that's just what the, the game caters to. So, Well, um, speaking of that, what about – let's talk about guys that I'm shocked that have not been mentioned yet. Byron Leftwich and Kellen Moore. Kellen Moore's got Cooper Rush playing at – Pretty damn good level right now. Um, very up and coming guys. I'm just curious on your guys' thoughts. Bryson, I know you were high on Byron Leftwich last year. You have the same sentiment with him yeah. this year? Yeah, I mean, I'm, he's a Marshall guy. Uh, and I think that he's been a talented offensive coordinator in this league for a long time. So uh, giving him an interview and, and a chance at the job, I think, would be appropriate. And uh, from all reports, he's a good guy and a leader of men. Um, and Kellen Moore was somebody I mentioned earlier in the year. Um, I think that he's also a talented young up, up and coming coordinator. Uh, the Cowboys have had a very good offense under his uh, tutelage for a long time. Uh, I don't think the offense is this year is the doings of Mike McCarthy. So uh, I think Moore is definitely uh, probably going to be a head coach pretty soon. But uh, in regards to Bienemy, I looked up just some stuff on him uh, just to name a couple of things. Um, he was actually, uh, he received an on-campus ban from the University of Colorado for harassing and assaulting a parking lot attendant. And he had uh, multiple D uh, DUIs and he left the program when multiple players had uh, rape allegations. So that's what I was referring to. Yeah. And that's why he's not a head coach. Okay. And, and, and then, and then you have uh, players like LaShawn McCoy and other players that have played on under his um, coaching and saying that he's just always arguing with players and, um, and you see him on the sideline arguing with Patrick Mahomes occasionally. I just think that with that history and paired with his relationship with players, I think that's just kind of done him not so well in regards to getting a head coaching job. I wanted to say this about Ken Dorsey, and th this is my biggest reservation about him, is how much is it Josh Allen and how much is it him? I mean, Josh Allen is probably playing – I would say best QB in the NFL right now, MVP type stuff. Um, and that's where I get hesitant with him. Now, Brian Dable kind of limits that a little bit because seeing his success with New York, 
But that was always that's always been my concern is really how much is Josh Allen playing into that and that, you know, I mean, they got well, some well, pretty Curtis, good players. Curtis, I will say this. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, historians. But Cam Dorsey was part of the MVP, Cam Newton. He was. So Cam yeah. Dorsey was very instrumental in coaching Cam to play his best football. And every time you see Josh, Josh Allen play football now, if you're watching a live broadcast, when he makes one of these crazy plays, very everybody Cam-esque. says it's Cam S. Yeah, yeah. The common that's, denominator that's to both guys is Cam Dorsey. So what you're saying is Cam is going to come back next year when we hire Ken Dorsey and he's going to be playing at an MVP level. <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> hey, man, we're going to have to let Cam take care of them babies, man. You know, like he just can't do all the things that we that we know and love him to do. He can do a lot of it still, but I don't think he can ever be that guy again. And um, and I think that's hard to accept for a lot of us. Edgar, yeah. Edgar, what's your thoughts on some of these other guys? Be enemy more. Um, the Bucks guys escaping me at the left, which um, yeah, I mean, you guys said it all. I mean, one person I want to add to, to JJ's list because I, I I know where he his his mind thinks, but Shane Waldron from the Seahawks, like the job he's doing with Geno Smith. Uh, and and the, and the cats up there in Seattle. He's from. He he used to be with McVay and the Rams. He used to be under Belichick. Oh. So he has part of the things that I look at. Like again, because I, I learned from JJ is that like who's their tree? Like who are like ultimately if you hire this guy, like you hire uh, a Kellen Moore. Like who else is coming with him? Like who's going to be his defensive court? Like so like you want to have guys who have branches who have like like feelers around the league, and so they're picking up guys that you think can mm-hmm. build a, a culture, build a team, but like. If you just pick a guy, it's like, oh, this this guy sounds good. Like, who else is coming with them? Because it's really the the the, the team dynamic, the the coaching staff dynamic that really makes this one level up, like a a contender for multiple years. Like, who's that? And so, like, I like like JJ like like to lean on people who have those connections that you see be successful, like in multiple teams across the league. Yeah, and and to Edgar's point, going back to Eric Bieniemy, beyond the stuff that you know that Bryson just just found out that I knew about, you know, for a couple of years when I was trying to figure out the same thing. Um, I think that's a problem with some of these coaches. And I'm just going to talk about something that's a little sensitive, you know, but we talk about, you know, the fact that African-American black coaches, you know, have a hard time being hired as coaches, right? Um, It's just not enough opportunities for them in the coordinator ranks. Airbnb, Byron Leftwich, um, those guys are in unique positions because they are offensive coordinators, black offensive coordinators. Um, however, the NFL is still a network, a net, just like other professions are. It's just it's built on networking. Sometimes it's too hard for some of these guys to even get to those positions to where when they finally become good enough to be candidates for a head coaching opportunity, you know, one of the questions that they should be asked, you know, by a GM or by an owner is, like, who are you going to bring with you, right? And so you should be able to say, hey, look, I got this person ready to go. He's already committed to come. He's going to be my offensive coordinator. He's going to be my defense coordinator. Here's my offensive line coach. Here's my running backs coach. I have these guys ready to go and ready to rock when you hire me. I know they're coming. I don't know if these guys have the cachet around the lead to be able to say they're coming if I come, right? And so then – if they can't bring the guys to support them, then you start off with this misalignment. You start reaching. 
People don't realize this about Matt Rule. Matt Rule had Phil Snow on the defensive side, and he had Jeff Nixon, but he knew Jeff Nixon couldn't be his offensive coordinator, so he had to reach for Joe Brady. He and Joe Brady never were the same type of guys. So they started out misaligned. And that becomes problematic and, you know, and it leads to two years of nothingness like we have. So I, I, I just want to just bring that nugget up because it's important when you talk about candidates and the, and the reason why I pay so much attention to trees. Trees matter because you travel with trees. You know, if you come by yourself, then you might just wither away. And so um, I, well, know, Edgar I wanted to that. mention this because I was just searching coaching trees and you talked about this. Dan Quinn is interesting. He had Kyle Shanahan um, in Atlanta when they went to the Super Bowl. Right. So if you bring Dan Quinn in, he might pull over, you know, some of those guys from that tree of Shanahan's for that offensive coordinator type role. I'm just, yeah. again, I'm just, it's, it's, just thinking it's possible, stuff. but just know that Shanahan's tree springs from his father. Yeah not from Dan Quinn. That Shanahan tree that we see in the Yeah, but there are QB's coaches, Matt LaFleur, too. So there's your tie with – so, like, there was in no, Atlanta. But, but what I'm saying is you can go back to the Houston Texans when Kyle Shanahan was under Kubiak. Kubiak is from Mike Shanahan's tree. Kyle is from that tree, right? And so these guys are one big family that sprawled out across the league now. Some people know who they are, some people don't. But that classic picture of the like the 2011 Washington Redskins has all those guys highlighted. Ridiculous. It's, it's crazy. But, yeah. but those are Mike Shanahan's babies. Yeah. Right? They're not Dan Quinn's. They're loyal to each other. But that's what I'm saying, though. Dan Quinn has ties to that. So that could be interesting if he pulls from that. From an offensive perspective, and, and uh, that's what I was trying to get. And yeah. you know, the the year, the two years after Shanahan was hired in uh, San Francisco is when Dan Quinn lost his job because he lost his offensive coordinator. That was a boy genius, but because it was uh, Mike, it was Mike Shanahan. I mean, it, was, yeah. it was Kyle Shanahan's team, really. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. So I, I think um, one other guy that has not been mentioned that you got me, th you got me thinking about with. African American um, uh, the stuff that you had mentioned and the coaching trees is Brian Flores. I mean, if 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 they were to look at Brian Flores and bring him uh, coming down from one of the best coaching trees in, in NFL history, uh, right. well, well, coming from one of the best coaches, the coaching tree hasn't been so great, but uh, under Bill Belichick and Flores had Miami, you know, play in playoff football before he was fired, uh, unrightfully so. So I think that's another guy that if they were to consider, I would totally be okay with Brian Flores and Carolina. Would Wilkes, would Wilkes take a demotion to stay on this team with, with Flores? I, think, I so. think I think so. I just don't think – well, we'll see what we have in Wilkes, in the, you know, like here in the field. I think just from what they can bring this particular team, I don't know if Flores – is that big of an improvement, or really any defensive coordinator type, is that big of an improvement over what Steve Wilkes can bring us, right? All of them have to bring an offensive guy. One thing I don't like about Flores, right? I like, I love the guy, right? I thought he did wonders for that team in Miami. But one thing I kind of hated about Flores' team is that they had two offensive coordinators during his time there. A lot of people don't know that. You can't name one of them. 
I mean, probably Bevel, if you if you're tracking. I think Bevel was there. But they had dual, they had co-offensive coordinators. They had that while they was trying to develop a rookie quarterback, right? So I have some reservations about what's his approach offensively. I know he can coach defensive ball. That's what you know, that's that's what he was in New England. I know he knows how to win. Um, he also had his own GM that he went down there with in, in Greer. I don't know what he'd do if you put him into a situation where he have to be paired with another type of GM who he didn't come with. And if he has to develop a QB, like who would be his guy? Who would be his OC that he brings with him? That's fair. Um, that, that is fair. Yeah, One guy we haven't mentioned, and this Edgar made me think of this guy, was Shane Steichen. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but he's the Philadelphia Eagles OC. Eagles are playing at a really high level right now. He was the OC in Los Angeles with the Chargers with Herbert, which he got pretty good rave reviews about. That's another guy on offense that's up and coming. I don't know what tree he's from because I've never heard of him, to be totally honest with you. But that's another guy to watch because, I mean, Eagles, they're, I mean, 5 0 was, star. Was he under um, this guy's with San Francisco now? But I can't think. What's, what's the guy's name that was in um, with the Chargers, correct? That's who you, that's who you said. So, yeah, he who, was who's with the, who's yeah. the coach at, who's, who's the coach at the Chargers before? Lance Lynn. Coach? Right, Lynn, and so Lynn was a is an offensive guy. I think he has a, a running backs background, running backs coach background, or something like that. But I know he was an offensive guy, and so I wonder if this guy's from that that tree, whatever that tree is. Yeah, he was. It looks like he was with he was with San Diego for a while in 2014, quality control coach. Then he was promoted to quarterbacks coach in 2016, and then he was hired, or he's promoted to interim office coordinator with the Chargers after they fired Ken Wisenhunt, which was when Lynn took over. Is, I think is Lynn is so is Lynn, and, and then he uh, was promoted in 2020 to full time OC. So, so so bringing up Lynn, a lot of people think that Lynn would come with Ryan's. So if Ryan's is your guy, then a lot of people think that Lynn would come over with D'Amico Ryan's as offense coordinator. So I, I guess maybe you would say uh, Steichen is with uh, – he's from the North Turner coaching tree from, from what, I'm, what I'm seeing here. So. Ah, and that would, that, would, and that would make sense. Yeah. That would make sense. Um, the thing about the Turners, man, is that the Turners – I think Scott Turner is a pretty good offensive coordinator, um, you know, especially in hindsight. You know, he worked well with Cam. Um, as a as the QB coach when he was here, North was offense coordinator. When Ron got fired, so did North, but they elevated Scott. Um, I hate it for Scott because Scott has been asked to play with pretty much backup quarterbacks, and now you know, he had to play with Kyle Allen. He went to to DC and he had um, um, Heineke and 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 and, and my guy um, Alex Smith. And not saying that Alex Smith is a backup, but we know he was recovering from the injury. Um, and now he has Carson Wentz, who I think limits what he can do. I think they have players, but I think Carson Wentz is a problem. Um, so, but the, the turn of tree is really good. Um, you sounded he, like Ron Rivera over here. <laughs> hey, I, I, believe in, I believe in North Turner, but I think North Turner runs an offense that your quarterback has to be really um, good on timing. 
you know, like throwing, you know, time rocks and stuff like that, anticipation. Um, he likes to go vertical, but he likes to have a power run game. If you set up for that type of style, then it's great. Um, so, you know, this guy, if you look at what Philly's doing, I think you see a lot of that, right? You know, and they, and they have a mobile quarterback in Jalen Hurts. Um, he can run the ball. They like to run the ball with multiple backs. They got some big-time playmakers on the outside. Um, you know, this guy, you know, somebody – I heard somebody say his name earlier, and I, I started thinking about it. I was like, you know, he has maximized Jalen Hurts because um, a lot of people didn't think, you know, he could do it, but he's doing it. And so um, – but if you get a guy like that, you have to get – you have to draft him a guy like that. You can't give a guy like that, Baker Mayfield, and expect him to be Jalen Hurts, right? And so as long as you can outfit him with the type of talent he needs to replicate that type of success, then I'm cool with it. Another couple guys I want to mention, then we can wrap this up, that we haven't talked about. Um, Leslie Frazier, he's got Buffalo Bills defense no. playing all right. And then also another D coordinator. Again, I really, I would really like them to go the offensive route, but – Raheem Morris from the Rams, younger, he's got that, you know, he's kind of put his own spin on Brandon Staley's Rams defense. Right. Um, and those are another two guys that are, are at least worth mentioning. I've heard, I think Mike Tumlin said this, and, and, and you all can Google it. I think Mike Tumlin was quoted as saying that Raheem Morris is the best coach available that doesn't have a head coaching job. Yeah, I think that I I think I saw that headline yesterday. Yeah, and he said it, you know, months ago. And ever since he said it, I just can't get it out of my head, right? You know, it's like golly, you know, one of the most respected coaches in the league said that this guy is the best coach out there, right? And we seen Raheem Morris as a head coach where in Tampa. And you know, he I had think Tampa got, for two years, and he was interim for Atlanta too for a bit. And see, when he when he when he took over for Atlanta, I believe that was in 2020. After they fired Quinn, they really played hard for him, but it didn't turn into a head coaching opportunity. Um, but I do think he's one of those guys that, like, if you want to go that defensive coordinator route, and I think you can kind of put him, the Miko Ryan's. Um, Brian Flores, you know, not just them, but, you know, you can put those guys in the same type of category. And it's like, okay, I believe that you're a leader, man. I believe that you're going to take this defensive talent we have and you're going to continue to ascend with them. But the fact remains that we don't know who your offensive coordinator is going to be. And I would need to know that, right? And so, but in the other part of that is, I don't know if you're David Tepper. If Steve Wilkes maintains this defense to playing at this level or better for the rest of the year, why would you move him out of that seat to replace him with a guy that's just like him on mm -hmm. resume? That's why I, I don't. Have I just I just can't see them going the defensive road unless they go with Wilkes. Yeah, it just it doesn't it it just doesn't make sense to me. And the way they've struggled offensively, I have a hard time believing they're not going to go with a offensive-minded guru. Well, let um, me tell you this. Look at look at what Brian Dave, you know, like I love Brian Dayball, right? I knew that whoever he went to, he was going to make them better. Um, you you see the spirit he brings to the New York Giants. 
that guy has Daniel Jones playing more efficient ball than I've seen him play ever, right? And he had a good rookie year, but he still looks like he looks confident now. And he's never looked confident before. Well, he's Even playing he, free. That's why. He's it, he's just go out and play. That's, that's and he, how it's. And he's using his athleticism. He's allowing him to make plays with his feet. Um, he's 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 dialing up plays these deep crossing routes that he's that he's dialing up for him, and he can hit those, man. And, and, but the thing is, he was able to get Wink Mark Martin there, who probably is just as um, responsible for this early success. Seeing what he did, you know, to to Green Bay this weekend, and and other teams before, even to us, Wink is a great defensive coordinator. But Brian Dayball came in; he had a vision. He don't even have his best players available to him besides Saquon. But I think a guy like Wink was like, look, man, I'm with a good head coach in John Harbaugh, but I respect what I know about Brian Dayball enough to leave you for a lateral move to go to New York and help him win. That's crazy to me. So I think with that said, if you can get an offensive guy, I think it's easier to, to, to hire an offensive guy and have that guy get him a defensive coordinator than it is to get a defensive guy and go get a good offensive coordinator. Because they're just going to be snagged into a head coach the following year. Yes, you're going to lose them. And you and had that early, the- too, with the Rams. Um, you had Wade Phillips early on, and then it was Brandon Staley, and then Brandon Staley left. Um, but that was but be- that's kind of how the Rams did it. They had a really solid D coordinator that stayed there for a while, and there was stability there. But even and so, but you know, when Wade Phillips left, you know, Staley jumped right in. They didn't have much drop off. Staley left. Raheem Morris jumped right in. Not very much drop off. It's easy to replace defensive coordinators, but you can lose an offensive coordinator and lose your entire identity as a team. And that's that's something that, although I'm a defensive minded guy at heart, I love watching defensive ball more than I like watching offense. And I used to think, man, I just want a great defensive coordinator to come in and, and make the Panthers the Luke Keekley type Panthers. But after watching the way that the league has evolved over the last three or four seasons, I want an, a guy who can take advantage of what the, the game allows. And if you don't get a guy who can do that, who can design plays to take advantage, like Tom Brady had it best. Do you all remember when Tom Brady came out and said that the way the NFL is now it's encouraging back QB play, right? Because you can actually dial up wide receiver routes right across the middle because you know they're going to be protected, you know, from being hit by safety like in, in years past. Well, now you got offensive coordinators who run those type of designs because they don't fear their receiver being taken out. And if they do get hit, it's going to be a targeting or whatever. And so defenses are a lot more reluctant to lay big hits on people. There are offensive guys out there that are taking advantage of knowing what the guys can't do on defense. Give me an offensive coordinator that's going to take advantage of every opportunity that the rule book allows and is smart enough to exploit it. That's what I want now because that's chess. Otherwise, you're hoping that you get a defensive coordinator that's good enough to circumvent the rules and still be good enough to stop these geniuses that are being, you know, hired by teams every year. 
And there, there are not that many defense coordinators that that's good enough to do that, in my opinion. Well, let's let's wrap up on that. I just want to throw this out there because we've had Will Kunkel on this show a few times. I know some on Twitter do not <laughs> like him, but I do. Um, we've had him on as a guest. He just tweeted out 10 minutes ago, the Panthers are, in all caps, not trying to trade DJ Moore, according to his sources. These false reports are getting out of control. Stop th- trying to throw darts. That was his tweet. Take that what you will, but we're going to end on that. I just want to thank Edgar. You guys know him on Twitter as Panther Analyst. We got J.J. Hardy, Panthers Culture, with us tonight. Kevin Avery was also joining us earlier from the Foreman Rush. I just want to thank you guys for coming on. We needed to bring the, the crew back to talk about this, um, and I just appreciate all your guys' insight in uh, almost two hours we talked. So. <laughs> I tried, man. I tried. <laughs> uh, you did a good job, JJ. You did a good uh, job. I appreciate that. <laughs> oh, yeah, you kept it. You kept it tight for the most part. Yeah, I was thinking that I wouldn't get invited back if I went too long tonight. So uh, you, guys <laughs> put the, you put some fear in my heart tonight. The people love you, man. The people love you. <laughs> but hey, look, guys. No, I thank you all for bringing me back. You know, it's always a pleasure to be with y'all. I mean, you guys have me on enough to where I don't think I ever have to have a podcast. And so uh, that is true. I, That's very yeah, true. I just, I, I, you get, you bring me in just enough, you know, to give me time to talk, and and I really appreciate it. Um, and I'm looking forward actually to, you know, like I said, you know, somebody lost a job yesterday, but that person's also a multimillionaire, and uh, <laughs> and so I can't feel but so sorry for him. Um, I I am looking forward to the Steve Wilson experience, and even at a macro level. You know, even if it's not Steve Wilkes, I'm looking forward for the opportunity to get this thing right. Dave Tepper had the right idea at the end of 2019 when he said he wanted one of these innovative offensive guys, right? I just think he got distracted from doing that. Those meatballs. If he learned anything, I hope it's <laughs> I hope it's I hope it's that he should have just stuck to his instinct and that he actually gets one of those guys this time. I'm looking forward to seeing if that happens in some capacity. Even if it's somebody to come in with Steve Wilkes, I hope that we somehow end up with that style of football. Edgar, want to thank you again for coming on. We do appreciate it. I know you've been super busy, but thank you for time, finding some time for us tonight. Yeah, I just want to echo the sentiments. Like, I don't have to have a podcast either, so thank you for having me on and, and wanting to listen to what I have to say. I will say that, like, I learned a lot from y'all, all three of you. So, like, my how I think about things are not in a vacuum. I'm, I'm here in L.A., so, like, think, I only hear about negative – like, my friends only reach out to me when negative things happen to the Panthers, so it's nice to know, like, there's there's some intelligent conversation that's going on. And it's making me rethink about who do I want. As a, just all that conversation about the head coach makes me rethink, like, I want to do something different now. Like, like I, I, I kind of want, like, an offensive guru paired with, like, a high – high draft pick quarterback like I want to see that happen we last time um, we never saw it but like I want to see what that looks like in Carolina but you guys are making me rethink my thoughts we just want to thank everyone again for coming on to the episode tonight I know it was a big one it's good to have all those guys back we also want to thank everyone for listening to the Panthers on tap podcast you can catch all of our episodes wherever you get your podcast go give us a follow on Twitter at Panthers on tap for all your analysis and breaking news and as always 